episode 28, Patrick and Cyprian speak with Lajos Hanzo of the University of Southampton. The team discuss quantum networking, quantum AI and quantum search algorithms, physical layer security, and the international communications race. Welcome to Entangled Things, your quantum computing podcast, hosted by Patrick and Cyprian. Good morning, Cyprian. Good morning, Patrick. How are you doing today? Very well, thank you, and ready for another great episode of Entangled Things. I don't think you'll be disappointed. We're, we're joined today by Hanso Leosh. Hanso, can you tell us about yourself? Tell our audience who you are and, and what you want to talk about. Well, hello. It's my privilege to join you folks and uh, to have a, a, a bit of a, a sort of hitchhiker's guide type conversation here about quantum technologies and quantum networking. Uh, so the name is of Hungarian origin, but actually it dates back to 1695 when the Hanzo started to move uh, eastwards from Elsass and then arrived later in Hungary. Uh, I studied there at the Technical University of Budapest. Then I worked in Germany. I returned to Budapest when I started a family. And then I arrived in the United Kingdom in 1986. And I've been on extended sabbatical since 86. Oh, wow. Very, very cool. Now, your your area of interest and the thing that we're most excited to talk to you about although I'm sure there's lots of things we could talk about, is kind of the state of the art of, of quantum key distribution, which is a hot topic. Now, we've talked on this podcast about Shor's algorithm and the threats to encryption and what post-quantum encryption is going to look like. Uh, at least that's what we're going to plan on talking about. And we've even done an episode on BB84 and other things, but we really haven't talked to anybody about like where we are right now. And I know China's kind of ahead of the game, What's your take on where we stand on quantum key distribution? All right. So I don't want to go back all the way to Bennett and Brassard in 1984 then, since you had a full-blown episode on that. Uh, but I tend to represent the view that indeed China is ahead of the game across the globe in terms of quantum communications. The United States and Canada together are probably ahead of the game in terms of quantum computing, uh, including the D-Wave 2048-qubit uh, quantum computer. And uh, all the other interest that is evolving here is really represented by uh, multiple communities now. And so there's the theoretical developments from the academic side. And uh, the interesting thing is that the subject area is so hot now that um, new conferences are spawned every year. And uh, large communities like, for example, the IEEE, the International Electronics and uh, Electrical Engineers Consortium, you know, that's uh, about 300,000 people. And it's got about six of those societies that got involved in developing these technologies. And so right now, uh, the industrial interest is so uh, vigorous, so high that actually a larger fraction of the community is constituted by industrial people. Right. So there are now really uh, literally hundreds of QKD networks across the globe. But of course, they have very, very different performances because they evolved over time since the 
1984, you know, conception of the quantum key distribution principle. And the two main avenues are essentially the uh, the continuous valued and the discrete valued quantum key distribution networks. But I, I guess I stop here for a moment and just sort of uh, drill down a little further, depending on your interest, really. So over to you, folks. So I, I guess the, the question I have is, um, I, again, there's been a lot of activity. We believe China is, is in the lead, if nothing else, just based on the number of papers and the demonstrations they've claimed to make. Uh, using satellite, hundred thousand kilometer communications, etc. Um, in the general quantum space, we still are trying to figure out whether it's um, superconductors, trapped ions. In other words, the modality of the quantum computing is still up for grabs. Is that the case in QKD? Is is there has there emerged a way to do it that is going to be the standard, or are we still figuring that out? There is a very interesting kind of roadmap uh, really indicating how this whole field is evolving. So the current state of the art uh, is tangibly more related to optical technologies, and it's based on either really relatively short links, uh, like metropolitan links, basically, and, you know, dozens of kilometers and, uh, you know, reasonable key rates. One of the main limiting factors is really how far can you go with how fast key refreshing rates or key transmission rates. So you can go farther if you don't need such a high key rate. But if you need high key rate, you you can't go far. Sounds like cellular. (laughs) <laughs> exactly. Actually, you sp- spot on. You you really spot on because essentially the radio wave, as it propagates, gets attenuated all the time. And uh, especially if you don't have line of sight propagation, then the waves are bouncing around, the refraction and diffraction all attenuate the radio waves. And pretty much the same, regardless whether we are considering optical fiber-based transmissions or free space optical type optical wireless transmissions. So uh, really coming from these metropolitan networks where you could just use optical switches and splitters, and those would be the network elements, uh, they allow you to to do a bit of routing and so on. But the evolutionary pathway way into the future is from this state of the art into where we have proper quantum routers. And in between, I then stop uh, for further questions, but in between, I wanted to mention the intermediate stages, uh, which is essentially having trusted relays. And trusted relays could only be really part of a QKD network as and when they are, for example, within a military base, because if the adversary or the eavesdropper wants to attack it, and if it's not protected, then it can be cracked. So we're not putting one over the internet. (laughs) Yeah, that's right. That's right. So the next stage then would be where we develop untrusted relays. Now, this is a bit, bit of a funny twist in the terminology, really, because untrusted relays are the ones that uh, can operate even if the eavesdropper takes over the relay. And so, therefore, you need extremely powerful protocols 
which are capable of operating in the face of this scenario as well. To detect. Basically, you're not guaranteeing secure communication. You're guaranteeing the ability to detect whether your communications. Now, you raised a very interesting question for me, and I'm sorry to manipulate the conversation, Cyprian. Um, There must be a very different modology for communications in the metropolitan space, as you described, than for satellite. Because I know that some of the the discoveries, some of the claims by the Chinese were that they've not only gotten 1,200 or 1,700 kilometers, but they've also done satellites. Well, you're not doing a fiber optic cable to a satellite because that would be a bigger achievement. <laughs> than, so, so there's a very different, do we know what that modality is or is that government secret? No, 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 we do know what it is. So just to really clarify, you're talking about this famous Misha's experiment. Yes. And so what they did, they beamed up the uh, QKD signal, uh, which is so-called free space optical signal, to the satellite. Uh, and then they must have used probably some optical uh, relaying technology, and then they beamed it down 1,200 kilometers farther away. And so, so, so this is a totally different technology from the fiber-based, which is more like the metropolitan or even long-range networks. And I actually wanted to mention in this context that there is already a, a trans-Eurasia network which goes all the way from Vladivostok to Helsinki, and it's 15,000 kilometer long, uh, lots of uh, relays built into it, but each relay is about 10 million rubles, Russian rubles. So, you know, very expensive technology. You can make it, you can build it, but what you cannot do is like uh, with conventional transatlantic cables, uh, you would have the, what is called the erbium dope fiber amplifier, which was actually developed by uh, scientists in, in my university, the Optical Research Center, where you don't convert the signal back to electronic signal. You actually amplify the light. And this way, uh, you relay it across the Atlantic, for example. So this is the, the technology that you can use over optical fibers. But for free space optical, uh, you, you can have a number of different technologies. The, the simplest way to describe it is that you beam a laser beam up to the satellite, which is very focused. Uh, but of course, it's very prone to atmospheric attenuation yeah. until you actually get up to where the atmosphere is very thin. Interesting. I could also see you getting around that by having multiple satellites that could broadcast to each other because there's no interference in space, and then wait until one of them has a base station that they can see clearly. Indeed, that's very clever, indeed. That's, yeah. you know, that's kind of a really diversity, we call these kind of technologies. Yeah. And uh, so uh, you can have a sort of first stage in which you have a relay selection. You find the best relay, whoever, whichever can provide you with the best service as such. And then uh, you use that particular relay. But in the terrestrial scenarios, again, the predicament we all have is that you you mustn't amplify the signal. You mustn't touch the quantum signal because right. it's so vulnerable that it falls back into the classical domain. Right, And then you, you cannot manipulate it any longer in the quantum domain. But, but the no cloning rule would would seem to think that you can't amplify a quantum entangled particle you'd have to keep entangling other things with it 
instead and add them to the entanglement. Right. So now we're entering a different territory, actually, but it's it's very, very interesting, really. You probably know uh, what Einstein said, you know, he called entanglement uh, a spooky action at a distance. I think right. it was yep. just rolling off his tongue, really. <laughs> what a nice way to put it. And so sometimes people get confused because they think that uh, entanglement uh, implying that you change the spin of an electron here in Southampton and you folks see uh, that instantaneously at the other side of the pond uh, is is science fiction really because before you can reach or achieve this you have to carry out some classical domain manipulations which of course have to obey the speed of light so it doesn't happen really, you know, in practice instantaneously. But indeed, and that is, you just put your finger now, Patrick, on the on the relaying principle of the true quantum relays, because they have to rely on proper entanglement, and they don't exist as yet, in you know, in the commercial world. And then you would have to sort of, you know whittle through or, or, or jump across the whole length of the cable, uh, say from Vladivostok to Helsinki, uh, you know, every 50 kilometers assigning a new quantum key, then again assigning a new quantum key for every hop. And the key rate versus distance is, again, the main limitation because we mustn't amplify the quantum signal. And then you're also vulnerable to errors at each stage. Absolutely. And, you know, obviously, errors tend to also have that nasty habit of propagating, right? You make yeah. one error, and then it becomes like avalanche-like error proliferation. And there's another very interesting point in, in, in this context, because uh, if I sort of liken you know, quantum key distribution to classical cryptography, the issue in classical cryptography is also the key limitation because the key has to be at least as long as the information you try to send. And then you just take the modulo to addition of the two. And uh, if you have a lot of information to send, terabits these days, then you need you know tons and tons of secret keys. And in the quantum domain, this is even more difficult. So, you know, there's so many challenges uh, which we have to tackle in a sort of collaboration, a seamless collaboration across these different communities. So what, what, are, the, what are the big breakthroughs that we're waiting? I, and like, for in, in example, um, you know, Cyprian and I have talked about a lot of things. He's brought up the fact that memory in a quantum computer, a standard quantum computer is a big big breakthrough we're going to wait for. And error correction is the topic that we've talked about many times. What what are the big breakthroughs that we're waiting for to unlock this? Because it sounds like we're still very much in the infancy of QQD. Very much so. Very much so. I couldn't agree more. And so this is why I started out talking about these optical relaying technologies or optical switching uh, and splitting technologies uh, that these are already commercial uh, reality, so off the shelf, basically. Uh, but reaching that stage, which I alluded to, namely the entanglement-based relaying, that will be, you know, depending on the amount of funding, of course, plowed into this area, could be 10 years, could be even 20 years. And in between, you know, we now uh, have 
reached the stage where trusted relays also work fine. And we have, as I said, literally hundreds of uh, quantum key distribution networks across the globe. But the networking aspects also have to be developed because these are potentially at the moment just point-to-point technologies. And you have to combine them with efficient multiple access techniques or networking techniques. So, you know, really interesting aspects in this context. And like technology evolves all the time, you know, if you think about the classical world uh, from Gordon Moore in 1965, it took us like uh, 60 years almost by now to reach the limits of classical technologies where seven nanometers integration is becoming a commercial reality. And so, like it or not, we actually must deal with the quantum effects if we right. want uh, you know, more sophisticated signal processing. So I, I could talk and ask questions for eight hours. So I need to let Cyprian in on this one now. Cyprian, <laughs> but, <laughs> and, and, and thank you for your patience and letting me do a lot of the, the questioning. What's your take on this? What What are you thinking about quantum key distribution? Well, <clears throat> I think it's really refreshing uh, to hear from Lajos the, uh, uh, the challenges around the networking part, right? And I think that's very important to highlight as a lot of the stuff that we see out there is actually, and a lot of the announcements, they refer to point-to-point things, right? Mm. We, we don't really have a proper, let's say, uh, topology in terms of quantum networking yet, right? So in this context, the other major thing that is kind of uh, uh, on my mind, and I've heard a lot of discussion about it, what about the the gap between uh, quantum computers and the quantum communication environment, right? What what are, from your point of view, where we are, and what are some of the challenges of actually making two, let's say, uh, quantum computers communicate via a, a quantum environment, right? Because that's another big challenge. People tend to to take this as for granted. Like I have two computers today, classical ones. I just connect them via wire and bang, we are communicating, right? It's going to be a whole different ballgame when it comes to uh, quantum networking and quantum communication channels uh, in the context of quantum computers. Yeah, indeed, I indeed. I, I think this is all music to my ears, really, to to hear from your perspective, you being a computing expert. And uh, so uh, I'm more of a communications guy, but I can see the merger of these two very clearly and explicitly. So much so that actually it's also happening in the classical world because we talk about edge computing and we talk about technologies where over-the-air computation, for example, is becoming a, a viable alternative when the devices have limited capability. So that was the quantum world, sorry, the classical world. Now looking at the quantum world for a moment, so so we have these near-term, uh, you know, medium-scale uh, quantum computers proliferating, quite a few of them, and so much so that actually my grad students are playing with the IBM quantum computer, which was put into the uh, cloud, but they only allow us to play with the older ones and the smaller number of qubits, and it would take a tons of research funding to get onto the cutting edge ones. So in the meantime, 
actually what we could do is we could merge uh, these you know small scale or medium scale quantum computers into a parallel uh, quantum computer based on small uh, quantum nodes uh, but we would have to use again entanglement, and that is the limitation. Right. If we could crack that problem, then we could unleash, you know, the, the quantum supremacy on a large scale. But I stop here because I, I can see you sort of trying to, you know, sitting on your hand almost probably, and yeah, I'm, I'm lecturing here, so I stop here and uh, I, I look forward to to your further thoughts. But at some stage, I would love to get them to talk to you a little bit about um, quantum AI and the quantum search algorithms. So stop well, there. Actually, there's no time like the present because yeah. that's that's simply a thing. <laughs> <laughs> How wonderful. <laughs> yeah, so we, we've done quite a bit of work uh, on uh, quantum search algorithms and, and uh, made conscious effort uh, concerning showing to the classical community what they could do if they had a, a proper quantum computer. And so there are very challenging large-scale search problems in my sort of um, – native area of um, you know, classical wireless communications uh, where we could potentially exploit the quantum parallelism uh, where, just as an example, suppose you, know, you have, uh, I don't know, JFK Airport and uh, there is a you know, few hundred thousand people potentially around and they all want to make a call and they all want to reach a base station in the uplink. And normally what happens is the base station has to you know, treat the rest of the users apart from the, the desired user as interference. Uh, but we could use what is called a multi-user detector and uh, jointly uh, detect the signal of, say, 100 users or so. But if you have, for example, say, uh, quaternary transmissions, not just binary, or even 16-ary and 1024-ary, as it is the norm today in 4 and 5G, then the search space becomes so enormous that you can only really harness uh, very powerful algorithms or accept suboptimum performance. And so this is where we deployed Grover's algorithm, the Durhoye algorithm, and a number of other you know, sort of cutting-edge uh, search algorithms. But in the interim, it would be interesting to see really whether we can create um, you know, sort of um, hybrid algorithms where we could perhaps harness the, the the power of the two jointly, or learn tricks from one and import them into the other. I think that's that's a, a very interesting and very practical case study that you were describing, right? For the applicability of the improvement in search performance that you can get with with with, with quantum with quantum algorithms, right? Yeah. Uh, every single one of us, I presume, and probably most of the audience that we have with us, uh, they have attempted at least once in their lives to do some kind of communication in an airport, right? So <laughs> it's it's amazing that uh, that simple gesture that you do, right, with your phone or with your laptop, what is the degree of complexity at different levels, right, that is, that is behind that? And, Indeed. Uh, since you opened the topic of, of 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 search, right? One of the things that uh, when I when I talk, for instance, about about uh, uh, 
the Grover search and I explained the Grover iteration and things like that, folks are like, at first, they are like, kind of like, oh, meaning, well, we thought this will be multi-exponentially improvement and so forth, right? <laughs> and when they when they realize it's actually, right, you're moving from a logarithmic complexity all the way to a, a square root of n complexity, right? For, at first, they're like, but this is not what, what quantum, right, we expect from quantum. But then when you provide some simple e- examples, right, of what it really means to move to that kind of uh, uh, quadratic improvement, they're like, wow, indeed. So I would like to, to kind of get your opinion on, on how do you see the evolution of, of, of the, let's say, um, the performance of these, these search algorithms? Because I think we barely scratched the surface. I think there's a lot more that quantum can provide when, when it comes to, to search problems in general, right? Yes, that's right. Well, first of all, I'm pretty convinced that no single algorithm will prevail. And so uh, there is now probably at least two dozen different powerful quantum search algorithms, but they all excel in different things. And I would almost extrapolate this into the future by saying that uh, really quantum computing will not be capable of always beating classical computing. It will be capable of, of prevailing in certain tasks. And today, you know, we have the GPUs, for example, uh, which are very good in terms of number crunching. Um, and so, you know, we could potentially sort of harness a quantum computer, download certain tasks to them, and then uh, again sort of read in the output of the quantum computer and carry on with the classical computations. And so that's that's one thing concerning the applicability of different uh, quantum search algorithms. And um, I think, of course, uh, in, in this context, uh, there will be need for relatively uh, low complexity algorithms for you know low end applications and high complexity algorithms for high end applications and so now there's also quantum um, optimization is emerging uh, you probably heard about the QAOA algorithm uh, which is again an interesting algorithm we are exploring currently in order to uh, use it for cracking large-scale problems, optimization problems in uh, wireless uh, scenarios. But, you know, the, the whole field, of course, very broad, and uh, uh, you probably would have to ask the biologists and chemists how they could benefit from the different quantum search algorithms. Yeah, but to your point of quantum is not going to replace classical, which I think we all agree, right? Mm. It- Getting back to let's say the space of of, of, of security, even the the, the factorization uh, approach with quantum is a great example because the quantum algorithm itself, right, does not solve the general problem of factorization. It actually solves one subset, one specific issue that is super intensive computationally, right, and mm. is, is is able to to do that and. I think that's that's where things will go, um, that you will see quantum being great at what it is great, but classical will still be there. Yes, right? yeah. I, I don't think we will live pretty soon in a world where 
we will have our, I don't know, quantum computing relational databases uh, running on our local quantum computing uh, PCs uh, communicating with our quantum computing phones, right? I think... <laughs> yeah, yeah. Right? Yeah, that's. I, I couldn't agree more. It would be then, very cool to have a quantum phone in your pocket. <laughs> but, you know, in research, uh, we know from Mark Twain that uh, uh, it's, it's always difficult to predict, uh, but it's especially difficult to predict the future. <laughs> so mm. I, I sort of just loosely quoted him. But uh, <laughs> on that point, I just make a, a very quick observation, and then maybe we hand back to Patrick, really. Um, and, and that is that... Uh, Post-quantum computing, sorry, post-quantum cryptography is another interesting area, and we barely touched upon uh, the whole QKD area, but people are already talking about what can you do when the quantum computers crack the conventional encryption, etc. So in this context, there's something called physical layer security where people exploit, for example, the randomness in the channel's transfer function, the channel's impulse response, in other words, the channel characteristics, which are always random, and uh, they cannot be reproduced, you know, as we call it a stochastic process, right? And uh, there is also the other element, namely that there's no pair of identical components in the mobile phones, even if they have the same uh, part number, because there is manufacturing imperfections. And so these random aspects can also be exploited. And in a way, remains to be seen whether this might even uh, complement, beat, or compete with quantum key technologies. So physical layer security is something you have to keep your eyes on. Interesting. So it, it, it sounds like, and I thought I suspected this before, it sounds like quantum communication isn't going to save us before quantum computers wreck regular encryption. And so we need post-quantum encryption like Lattice and others. And, and the good news is we have shows already lined up to talk about that stuff. Um, when we talk about the, the state of the art of this, China's been like ahead of the game, as we said. But if I understand correctly, it's the same as it is in the United States and Canada. It's not the government. It's the companies, Alibaba and the big tech giants are the ones that are really pushing and that are really enabling this. Um, and there's been a lot, there's been a, of recent months, there's been what looks like a crackdown on the independence of the tech sector in China. And so I don't know whether we're, we, we're going to see any of that slow them down or whether... Uh, it is going to slow them down at all. But um, do you have any concerns about that? And that that are there other countries that are seeking to overtake China other than the United States, of course, uh, mm -hmm. in the communications race? Because I know other countries uh, like Finland and Germany are putting a lot of money into this now. Right. Yeah, it's it's a, a judicious question, really. Uh, first of all, the European Commissioner for Science and Technology promised a 1 billion uh, funding kind of uh, 
not not cash, but uh, you know, over a five-year period, an investment into uh, quantum technologies. Now that sounds an awful lot of money, but again, actually, I don't think it matches what China and the United States are p- putting into this area. Probably but, doesn't but, match what IBM is putting into this area. Well, exactly, exactly. <laughs> so, so that's that's one thing. Uh, but I'm pretty familiar with the Chinese landscape uh, because at some stage, you know, I, I spent longer times in China and I have had, you know, close to 100 doctoral students from China. And so I'm aware of uh, the formation of the Beijing Academy of Quantum Technologies, which mm-hmm. is actually an academic um, formation or, or kind of consortium. Uh, bringing together lots of in, uh, institutions. So that's not industry. Uh, the government uh, has got a, a plan to really counter uh, the, 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 perhaps I wouldn't call it embargo, but the, uh, the blockage of certain technologies going to China. And so, so they are now proactively uh, counteracting this uh, with the aid of industry, academia, partnerships, etc. And uh, so, finally, on the technology side, I wanted to mention a very interesting uh, technique that is not brand new. It goes back to exactly twenty years, I think, uh, when a famous professor called uh, Gui Long came up with the idea of. Uh, direct secure, secure quantum communications. And uh, this is not only a quantum key distribution and negotiation protocol, but it is true quantum communications. So it's not just exchanging the keys over the quantum channel, but communicates over the quantum channel. And this is the technology of the future, the real true technology, which will evolve, I think, very quickly now because China have put quantum technologies into their next five-year plan. Mm. Yeah, I think they're definitely the ones to watch. Um, again, I, I'm concerned that <clears throat> as the politics creeps into the science, that science usually gets muddled, no yeah. matter where that is. Yeah, um, very and, sad, and, actually, but yeah, it does and I know, happen. I mean, Ant, Ant Group IPO was stopped by Beijing because they weren't, because there were criticisms made. And, um, and so I just wonder if that means that gives room for others to catch up or to, uh, to become. Now, you mentioned the network in Russia. Does that mean Russia is a serious player in quantum communication or what? So much so that, that although they started late, I think it was just the middle of the uh, 2010s. Uh, but of course, we don't know what happened in the military domain. Uh, so you know, in, the, in the public domain, uh, sort of just less than 10 years ago. But now they're selling uh, QKD boxes to banks, for example. So commercially. Okay. And of so course, China, you know, that's where, uh, again, high value applications, right? Yeah. So China's the leader in satellite, Russia's the leader in ground based, and we all have to catch up. Indeed. Indeed. Uh, Cyprian, do you have any final questions? We're starting to run out of time. I know we could go for a long time with this guest. Well, what w- w- I would kind of go to the more, let's say, general, uh, let's say, uh, picture. And, um, what do you see like in the next 10, 20 years? How do you think um, quantum key distribution specifically 
will impact the kind of general field of of security uh, overall. Uh, do you see it uh, getting like having a big impact? Do you see that there is still too much to invent or to discover that we're we're still kind of in the late, let's say, holding pattern, waiting pattern? Um, what what do what do you see as being the role of of this very very from my point of view important topic uh, in the overall evolution of what we understand as being security in the in the cyberspace? Mm. Yeah, uh, l- let me commence with an interesting uh, dual analogy where I I found the cheapest smartphone on the internet. Uh, for 10 US dollars uh, from India. And the most expensive one was 10 million US dollars dotted with diamonds around the screen, right? And the same will prevail for communications, I think. Although, again, having said that, and uh, although I I really don't uh, want to comment too much on politics, but you probably heard that uh, Boris Johnson tweeted Macron, President Macron, and uh, uh, in the olden days, it would have been uh, learning Brezhnev, uh, you know, lifting the red phone and talking to, uh, you know, I don't know, Reagan probably in that era. And, and now, uh, you know, Trump is tweeting Macron. Uh, and that was Over not... the public internet. <laughs> exactly. So, you know, it will depend on the particular applications. But uh, I just wanted to really finish on a lighthearted note, you know, to, to answer your question half seriously, okay? <laughs> it's been a crazy trip. It's, the things have evolved so quickly, even in our own lives. Absolutely. Amazing. But, you know, again, uh, we are uh, techies, you know, engineers, and even though I'm an oldie and, uh, you know, with gray hair, but still an enthusiastic student of our game. So thank you so much for your invitation. I much enjoy chatting to you, and uh, hopefully we can stay in touch and I can help you promote the uh, podcast as well. We would much appreciate that, but we will definitely be talking to you again at some point in the future. Um, we're not done bothering you yet. Thank you very much for coming. <laughs> it's it's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you so much. Yeah, my privilege, folks. And uh, yeah, hope to see you in person where we can celebrate the podcast uh, one, number one thousand. Deal, deal. We'll, go, we'll meet Absolutely. you at an IEEE conference near you. <laughs> All right, everybody. Thank yeah, you bless for you. joining Thank us. Thank you. We'll talk to you later. Bye. Bye. Bye.